seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them or keep them open to Acts chapter 1. Today we're going to begin a series of sermons in the book of Acts, and at least it makes sense to me to start with the beginning. All right, I'm glad that was a rousing <laughs> chuckle. It wasn't all that funny, I'll admit to that. We start in the beginning with the ascension, the ascension of Jesus, an event in the life of Jesus that, quite frankly, doesn't get the ten- attention it deserves. We're going to spend some time here laying sort of the theological foundation and an expression, understanding what the ascension is, what it does, and what it means for us, because the ascension of Jesus is incredibly foundational and important for the rest of the book of Acts and for the church today in the year 2017. The, the, the event of the ascension, like I said, doesn't typically get a whole lot of attention, but the lack of attention paid to the ascension, betrays its importance. Jesus talked about his ascension into heaven while he was with his disciples in the Gospels. Peter and Stephen, in the book of Acts, directly mention the ascension of Jesus or its results in their sermons in Acts chapter 2 and 6 and 7, respectively. Paul, St. Paul, brings the ascension out in Romans and in Ephesians. St. Peter comes back to it in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. The author of Hebrews talks about the ascension in at least two places. And so simply by its consistent inclusion in Scripture, the ascension of Jesus is something to which we should pay more attention. And so today, as we turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11, you keep your thumb there because we're going to do some flipping. This is going to be some old school sword drills, y'all. Today, as we look at the ascension, I'd like to offer one big idea, and then from that one big idea, bring in two points of application. So the big idea for today is this. The ascension of Jesus is his enthronement as the cosmic king. All right. Then the application is the cosmic king gives his church, his kingdom, the purpose and the power, a mission and empowerment, and the other point of application is We've got to be urgent because the king is coming back. All right, so let's look at this. Luke records the ascension of Jesus with a single verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Where in the world did Jesus go? Right? In Star Trek, Captain Kirk would say, beam me up, Scotty, and he gets beamed up to the Enterprise, or he would get beamed down to wherever he wanted to go. But where does Jesus go? Well, what we see from Scripture, what we see from St. Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, Jesus ascended, he, he was risen, he was raised up, we can call this the rise of Jesus, he was taken up to sit at the right hand of God. 
In St. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he says Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God. He, he connects this to Psalm 110, where David, who did not ascend into the heavens, wrote, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So in his ascension, Jesus is brought to the right hand of God, to a place of authority, to a place of power, to a place of prestige, to a place of rule. To be seated at the right hand of God means that Jesus is enthroned as the cosmic king. He is seated upon his throne as the ruler of the universe. My apologies to He-Man, Jesus is the master of the universe. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, Let's flesh this out because there's some really, really amazing theological implications to this, right? So to say that Jesus is the cosmic king is to first say that his reign and his rule are timeless. If you have your Bibles, stick a finger in Acts chapter 1 and, and turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. I find it in page 745 of my Bible. I have no idea where it is in yours. The rustling of Bible pages. It's like the rustling of angels' wings. Doug is showing me his, his app on his smartphone, his cellular device. All right, here we go. So for Jesus to rise upon a cloud into the presence of God is fulfillment of a prophecy from Daniel chapter 7. And it reveals for us that Jesus is a cosmic king with a timeless, indestructible rule and reign. So if you look at Daniel chapter 7, we'll remember that Daniel is a prophet. He's, he's in exile in, the, in Babylon itself with the people of Israel. He's, because of the favor of God, because of the grace of God, he has risen to a place of prestige and power and influence within the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, he has visions and prophecies. He interprets dreams. And here in Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. That's the ascension, folks. And when, when Jesus was on trial the night before his death, when he stood before the Sanhedrin, I think it's in Matthew uh, 24, 25, Jesus says to them, they're, they're, they're pressing him, right? They're demanding, do you think you're the son of God? And what does he say to them? You will see me at the right hand of. And that's immediately when they tore their robes and they said, he's committed blasphemy. What else must there to be done? They sought to crucify him. So when Jesus literally and in the sight of these disciples was raised into heaven on the cloud, it is a proclamation indeed that he is one like a son of man coming into the presence of the ancient of days, God himself, and is presented before him. And in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees to him this one like the Son of Man who's now been raised to position before God. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus rises to sit at the right hand of the Father to begin his rule and his reign upon a kingdom that will never die. 
to begin his reign and rule upon a kingdom that will never run out. Show me the Roman Empire today in 2017. Show me Alexander's empire today in 2017. Show me the Persian empire in 2017. There isn't one. Show me Jesus' kingdom. It is universal. It is eternal. It is timeless. There is no end to Jesus' kingdom. This is really important for us. There is no end to Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is the cosmic king. He has ascended to his place of authority and power, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, I also skipped over a little bit here. To say that Jesus is the cosmic king is to say that his king is universal and timeless. It is also to say that his kingdom is universal, not bound by geography or genetics. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So to say that Jesus is the cosmic king is to say that he is the son of man with an everlasting kingdom. And his kingdom is made up of all peoples, nations, and languages as people from all nations and languages come into the kingdom through his crucifixion and resurrection. This is why when his disciples tried to pin him in and said, are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus rebukes them and says, no, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. Because Jesus is not the king for the people of Israel alone. Jesus is the king for the universe. Jesus is the one who reigns on high, not for a geographic entity, but for an entity that is itself unbound by space and time. And praise God that he is a universal king because if it's based on my genetics, I ain't getting in. And neither are you. So Jesus ascends to his place at the right hand of God. He's enthroned as the cosmic king, the ruler of the universe. He's seated on high, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion. Think about that as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus is seated on high, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion. For Paul, that meant Jesus is greater than Nero, the emperor, who could have killed him and did with a snap of a finger. For us, it means that Jesus is greater than any political power in which we might trust. He's greater than the President of the United States. He's greater than whatever they call the leader of the Soviet, not the Soviet Union anymore, is it? Whatever they call the leader of Russia, Jesus is greater than. Whatever you call the leader of the United Nations, Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than every rule and authority and power and dominion. He's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Folks, there ain't nothing who's got nothing. Nobody's got nothing on Jesus. There's a terrible movie. Well, it's a great movie, but in Training Day, Denzel Washington's main character says, King Kong ain't got nothing on me. Well, yeah, well, nobody's got anything on Jesus. He's the name above all names. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He reigns from on high. He is the king. I don't think anyone's as excited about that as I am. <laughs> now, 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 now you're going to make me feel guilty for having a cheap applause line. So if this is what the ascension is, Jesus rising to his place of authority, And that's what the ascension does, is Jesus uh, beginning his eternal reign. I think that we need to answer the question, 
what makes Jesus worthy of this place of honor? What's so big and great about him? Now, I want to give an illustration here that, that some of us may not, may not catch. I, I apologize for my, my nerddom, my, my geek culture a little bit here. But in his brilliant work, The Lord of the Rings. Why does that start people laughing, Jeff? <laughs> Kirsten's just shaking her head at me. In his brilliant work, The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien has a few different characters that sort of resemble Jesus in their character and their work. I think perhaps none more than Aragorn. He's introduced as Strider in the first of the three. He's revealed to be the rightful king of Gondor, who is first met in a, a sort of exile. He's far from the halls of power. He is far removed from the throne of glory that is rightfully his. He has emptied himself of the vestiges of kingship and serves as a soldier, essentially. Ultimately, as Tolkien unfolds the narrative, ultimately Aragorn leads the forces of good against the forces of evil. At one point, Aragorn descends into the halls of the dead, and there he conquers over the dead. He rises out of the halls of the dead to destroy the forces of Sauron, the evil one. And near the end of the story, Aragorn, having done his work of conquest over evil, he finally gets to ascend to his rightful place upon the throne. He is finally given the crown and the authority of his kingdom. And maybe that helps us understand Jesus' ascension to kingdom and glory. Why is Jesus worthy to be the cosmic king? Because he has finished the work of redemption. Jesus is worthy to be in this place of honor. He alone is worthy of this privilege because he alone has worked out all that is necessary for salvation through his crucifixion and his resurrection. No other religious leader in the entirety of the world has done what Jesus has done and has earned the kingdom that Jesus has earned. In Revelation chapter 5, turn there for me if you'd would or with me. In Revelation chapter 5, I warned you we were going to flip. In Revelation chapter 5, St. John finds himself in the heavenly throne room witnessing heavenly worship. And there before the one seated on the throne is God. He has a scroll in his hand that is sealed up. It is a scroll with his plans for time and space and eternity. But there was a problem in heaven. No one, the question is asked, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And St. John says, I began to weep. No one is worthy to open the scroll, no one worthy to unseal the events and thus rule over them could be found in heaven or on earth or under the earth. No one could be found, that is, until the lion of the tribe of Judah stood before the throne. Weep no more, and behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The root of David who conquered showed up. Can we say that he ascended into the heavenlies and stood before the Father on the throne and now is able to open the scroll because he has accomplished that which he was given to accomplish? 
I think we can because when John saw the Lion of Judah, when John saw the Root of David, he saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain and yet was alive. And so the conquering Root of David is the lamb slain yet alive. And only he was worthy to open the scroll. Only he was worthy to rule and to reign to receive worship. And so the reason why Jesus ascends to sit at the right hand of God as the cosmic king is because he has made perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus ascends to glory after the work of redemption, after his crucifixion, after he kicked death in the teeth and stole its bite. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he has completed all that was and is and ever will be necessary for sinful men and women to be reconciled to God, and he ascends because he is worthy to ascend. He is the cosmic king. There is none other. But what difference does it make? It makes all the difference in the world. Because Jesus is the cosmic king, it means that nothing happens without Jesus being in control of it. Because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, all powers, all authorities, all dominions have been subjected to him as king. makes all the difference in the world. Aside from the reality that, that Jesus alone has ascended, and so only Jesus is worthy of praise and honor and faith and worship, there is the other reality that Jesus, the cosmic king, gives his people a purpose and power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. As Father Forrest likes to say, to the end of the earth, even destined Florida. <laughs> In this single verse, we read both of Jesus' purpose for his people and the power he gives to his people to enable them to accomplish his purposes. Simply put, the purpose is to be and give witness to Jesus wherever you may be found. Simply put, he tells these 11 men as he ascends into heaven, you are going to be the ones beginning in Jerusalem and expanding out to Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. You are going to be the ones who expand Jesus' kingdom rule to include all nations, tribes, and tongues. The people of God in Jesus Christ are called to proclaim the gospel that those who not, have not yet believed will believe. To those who have not yet been brought into the kingdom under the universal king will be brought into the kingdom under the universal king. The king gives these orders, be my witness, and we must recognize as king, Jesus has every right to give them. And as king, Jesus has every right to expect that his people will obey. And the way we've begun to describe our understanding of this divine purpose here at Emmanuel Anglican Church is this. To be a church glorifying God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. To be a part of God's kingdom with Jesus as the cosmic king is to be enlisted in this mission. There is no conscientious, conscientious objector clause here. There is no retirement age. 
There is no early inductee. If you are part of God's kingdom, you are to be a part of the mission that Jesus gives his people. The thing that's amazing to me is that Jesus, having given this mission, then gives all that is necessary for its accomplishment because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, receives the gift, and pours out the Holy Spirit. The thing that we see here is that it is the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference. How does Peter go from a guy hiding in an upper room, having previously denied Jesus, to hiding in an upper room, and then all of a sudden, as Acts chapter 2 unfolds, Peter is standing before the very crowds that crucified Jesus, proclaiming with authority and courage the gospel. How does he do that? Did he suddenly become uh, more handsome? Did he suddenly, did he read a couple of textbooks and learn about the finer points of, of giving a speech? No, it is the Holy Spirit that inspired in him with wisdom and power the words to speak, gave him the courage to stand and speak, and it was the Holy Spirit at work in the hearts and minds of those hearing that they were convicted of their sin and responded with faith. Folks, if we don't have the Holy Spirit as we seek to be what God wants us to be, we will accomplish nothing. Jesus' church needs the Holy Spirit to accomplish that which the king has given it to do. Jesus ascends. He's enthroned as the cosmic king, which gives purpose and power to his people. And he promises to come again. What difference does it make that Jesus is the ascended king? Well, he gives his church a purpose. He pours out upon his church the power. And because he's ascended, there is a promise that he will returned. I love this picture in chapter 1, verse 10 of Acts. While they were gazing into heaven, I kind of got this idea that Peter and James and John and the others were slack-jawed yokels staring up at, er, at the Jesus, maybe a little bit of drool coming out of their mouth, overwhelming at the amazing sight of what was happening here. And angels descended and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven like some slack-jawed yokels? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the ascension guarantees his return. Jesus, the cosmic king, will come to judge the living and the dead, as our Nicene Creed states. He will come to raise the dead. He will come to destroy evil and cast it into eternal judgment. He will come to rule and reign in his new heavens and his new earth. He will come to be physically present among his people and his kingdom, and he shall reign forever and ever. And in fact, the, the, the fact of his ascension guarantees the fact of his return. We don't know when Jesus will return. In fact, Jesus himself doesn't know when he will return. Only the Father does and so I would submit to you that because of the, the, the reality of Jesus' return, the church needs to do two things. In the power of the Holy Spirit, press into the purpose that Jesus has given us with urgency. The mission of the church is not forever. It's just for now. And the now which exists between Jesus' ascension and his return. And so we must act with urgency with our witness. There's a real sense of running out of time. Time is short. Be urgent with proclaiming the gospel, with speaking truth, with loving people. There's an urgency that lies behind this. 
And there is a real urgency for those who hear the gospel to respond with faith to the gospel. The fact of the ascension guarantees the fact of Jesus' return, and so we must be prepared. We must be prepared by being God's people, his kingdom people under the reign of Jesus. Author D.A. Carson put it this way, the norms of the kingdom worked out in the lives of the heirs of the kingdom constitute the witness of the kingdom. The backdrop to all of this is Jesus' return. The backdrop to all of this is the purpose he has given, the power he has blessed with, with, and the return to come. So that's the ascension. That's the rising of the cosmic king to his place to rule and reign. Jesus, having been crucified and raised from the dead, is worthy to ascend, to open the seals, to unveil history. He is the cosmic king with a cosmic kingdom. He gives to his people on earth a purpose. He gives to his people in that purpose power to accomplish it. We celebrate the ascension because to do so is to join with all of heaven that worships the rise of the king. We worship the cosmic king Jesus who will come again. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.